Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. But let's read Ruth chapter number two together. So here we go. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give one to you at the welcome desk after the service. It's our gift to you. But we'll put it on the screen for you to read along with us. Ruth two, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So here's this man introduced. He is a relative, and this is meant to pique the hopes of the readers. Uh, This narrator is knowing that people would understand Jewish laws and customs. I will not rehearse the law of leveret marriage. We hit that a couple weeks ago. But more or less, if you had a kinsman who was close to you, they could keep the family line going. They could take in the widow. They could marry them. and, uh, And they could give hope to the family again. And this is meant to kind of uh, introduce us to this and and pique our interest here. So this is a man who is strong. This is a man who has money. This is a man who is a relative of Naomi's. And it says in verse number two that Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him and whose side I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go my daughter. So understand the legislation of Israel was fascinating. God always had and does have a heart for those that are vulnerable and marginalized. If you have ever made brownies with children, you understand this perfectly. You mix up the brownie batter, right? You pour it into your 9 by 13 pan. And when you're, when you're done, you have everything you need in the batter and the pan. You're going to have a batch of brownies. But what's in the bowl, Right? There's these remnants in the bowl, and every child who is above a year old will ask for the spoon, the bowl, the spatula, right? Because they want that you're not going to take your finger or the spatula and get every little bit. You got what you need to make your brownies, but there's batter in the bowl. Why just throw it in the in the washer? You can give it to somebody else to you know take their finger and, and lick the brownie batter, right? So it's kind of that concept. Glean your fields, get it all, you have what you need, but you you got some batter in the bowl left over and let someone who's a bit more vulnerable come behind you and let them get what they need. And this was the concept. And Ruth knows this and Naomi knows this. So she says, Naomi, can I go? go? We we need food. Yeah, go ahead. Verse three, she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers and her hat was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the kindred of Elimelech. So hat means by stroke of luck. So it's a bit of a funny on the part of the narrator. We understand that God is orchestrating all of this. And the narrator told us there's this guy named Boaz. But Ruth has never met Boaz. Ruth does not know Boaz exists. Ruth does not know Boaz has a field. Ruth doesn't know any of this. But she goes out to find a field to glean in, and it just so happens that she ends up in the field of Boaz to glean after the reapers. And we know that the Bible tells us that even the lot is cast into the lap, but it's the Lord who super, superintends all that, meaning even the roll of the dice isn't by chance, but God has his hand in everything, and he had his hand in this. He was, she didn't know it. She was oblivious to what was going on, but God put her in his providence that day in that field. In verse number four, behold, Boaz, a man, the man came from Bethlehem, 
And he said unto the reapers, and this, I love the greeting, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. In verse 5, Boaz said unto the reapers, whose, dam, whose damsel is this? Now, whose is she doesn't mean slavery, because if she was in, in indentured slavery, she would have been reaping somewhere else. She wouldn't be in his field. Uh, this means uh, whose umbrella of authority is she under? Uh, we oftentimes will employ possessive language for those that we love. We'll say, you know, that, that's my girl, that's my man, sort of thing. And he's saying, who, who, is, who is she? Who does she belong to? Who, who's she with? Is she engaged to somebody? Is she married to somebody? Who's her umbrella of authority? Verse 6, the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it's the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, she came to me, and here's what she said. She said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came, and she's continued even from morning until now, and she tarried a little in the house. She came and asked to work. She's been here since she asked from the morning. Like, she got here early, and she's been here till now, and she only went to the house a little bit. Like, she barely takes any breaks. Verse number 8, Then Boaz said unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter, or have you not heard my daughter? It's a way of saying, it's a colloquialism, saying, listen carefully. Boaz comes to Ruth, he says, hey, come here, listen carefully. And they don't know each other. This is the first time they met, and here's what he says. Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. He says, Ruth, don't go anywhere else. I got you. Tomorrow, the next day, the next week, whenever. I don't want you to leave. I want you to know that what you need is here in this field, and you're welcome anytime you can come here and you can work. Verse number 9. Let not thine eyes be on the field that, that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? That's a good man right here. And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Then she fell on her face, and she bowed herself to the ground, and she said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? So she's incredulous, and she falls down and says, Why are you being so nice to me? Why are you being so gracious to me? You know I'm a foreigner. Why would you, why would you invite me to stay? Why would you allow me to drink the, the water that the men have got for themselves? It's completely countercultural that he would do this. Why would you give me this grace and this favor? And there's a lot of answers to this. It was an answer to prayer. I mean, she had prayed for this as she went out, that she would find someone with grace for her. So God's in this. There's an answer where Boaz is just a good man with good character. But the answer that Boaz gives her is found in verse number 11. He answered and said to her, It has fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband. And how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wing thou art come to trust. Here's what he says, Ruth, your reputation precedes you. You are known as the woman who stuck by Naomi's side. You're known as loyal. You're known as someone who, who doesn't quit when the going gets tough. You're known as someone who has shown kindness and mercy to your mother-in-law. You didn't have to. You left your people. You left those gods. You chose this people. You chose this place. You chose our gods. I think that that is honorable. I think that you should be rewarded from that. And I'm going to do my best to bestow grace upon you, but my prayer is that God himself would repay you. And I pray that he would repay you fully. I don't want God to tip you. I want him to cut you a check. And I want him to put you under his wing. 
She said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me. You've spoken friendly unto thy handmaiden, though I be not like one of thy handmaidens. But she says, you are giving to me. You are encouraging me emotionally. You are lifting my spirits and you are, you are allowing me to breathe deeply. You're friendly to me. And you know I'm not like the other girls. You know I'm not like your handmaid. You know I'm, not, you know I'm a foreigner. You know that I'm on the lowest rung of the social ladder. You know I have nothing going for me, but you are mindful of me and you are kind to me. Thank you. And honestly, I need it. I Bring it on. I really need it. Verse number 14, Boaz said unto her, he's not done being gracious. He's going to continue on. At mealtime, come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. So he's saying, hey, when we go to eat, eat with me. And don't, don't eat your plain bread. I got some sweet and sour sauce. It'll help it a little bit. You know, put some butter on that, whatever. He, he mentions vinegar, you know, something sour, something to help it, have some flavor. Come, I'll do this. And she sat beside the reapers, and then he, he reached her parched core. I mean, he, he started serving her. He takes the roasted corn, and he begins to serve her, and she did eat, and she was suffice. She was full and left. Verse 15, when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men. He said, let her glean even among the sheaves, and don't reproach her. Reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Here's what he says. She has the corners. She can follow after you. But when she's following after you, take some that would normally be ours, the good stuff, I mean the, the mainstay of all this, and drop it down for her. I want you to be extra kind for her. This To go back to the brownie batter, this is like giving your kid the bowl for them to use the spoon to get it out. And you take in your 9 by 13 pan and pour in a quarter of it back into the bowl for them. Verse number 17, so she gleaned in the field until even, and then, so I mean, she went morning to night, and then she beat out what she had gleaned. There was still a lot of work to do. After you glean it, you have, to, you have to thresh it out. It was hard work, and it was about an ephah of barley. You say an ephah. What is an ephah? It's a unit of measurement for dried goods. We know that much, and we know it's big. This would be in the neighborhood of 30 to 50 pounds. So this is after she's threshed it. So she got a lot more than that before she threshed it. Now this is the, the pure product, and now she's going to have to carry 30 to 50 pounds back home. This is a hard, long day for this girl, and she, she, she's working. But she has a lot. And it says in verse number 18, she took it up, she went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her the, uh, that she had reserved after she was sufficed, meaning Ruth kind of took some for herself and put it in her pantry, and then all the rest of it she took to Naomi. It's a lot. And her mother-in-law said, where did you glean today? And, and uh, where, where, did you, where did you rot? She says, Ruth, where did you get this? Did you rob somebody? Like, what is going on here? How did you get this much? She continues on, and she says, Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. The only way you got this is somebody showed you favor. Somebody was mindful of you. Somebody took note of you. How did this come to pass? And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left his kindness to the living or to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto one of us, uh, one of our next kinsmen. And then here's Ruth's response. Ruth is not on the same wavelength here. She responds and says, Well, he said unto me also that I should keep fast by the young men until they have ended all my harvest. 
And what you find is that the wheels begin to turn in Naomi's mind, but Ruth is oblivious at this moment. There's nothing romantic in Boaz's mind, nor is there nothing, you know, romantic in Ruth's mind. But Naomi hears Boaz, and she says, I know that guy. He's like, he's a relative, and he's a, he's like a close relative. And all of a sudden, Ruth begins to think about barley, but Naomi begins to think about bride. And Ruth is just thinking about bread, but Naomi's like, I'm thinking about wedding cake. And all of a sudden, chapter one, desperate, destitute, despondent, despairing Naomi is going to have the sun rise a little bit in her heart. And she sees for the first time a glimmer of hope that maybe there's something here. Verse number 23 so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean into the end of the barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law there. That's approximately three months. About three months go by and she goes back. We don't know if it's daily, weekly, three times a week, but whenever she needed to. She goes back day after day, week after week, month after month, and she helps herself true to Boaz's word. Now, there's a lot. I mean, there is a lot that I could apply from this text. I'm just going to give you two today for sake of time. The first thing I want you to see most specifically about Boaz is that Boaz is a man who labored effectively. You may just skim past this and miss a lot of it, but this text is peppered with the reality that Boaz is an effective business leader. That this man knows how to run a company. This man knows how to employ people. This man knows how to make money, and he is good at it, and God is glad that he's good at it. Look at verse number three. We're told that she goes to a part of a field that belongs to Boaz, meaning he had at least one field. We'll see in the preceding chapters. He's going to buy some more. This man has a business, probably multiple businesses, but at least one of them is harvesting these crops from this field. And we're told in verse one that he's a mighty man of wealth. Now, you don't, you don't love money and use people. You love people and use money. But if you can love people and use money and be good at making money, that's a beautiful thing that the Lord will use as a tool in his hand. And Boaz is a man who is rich. He's a mighty man of wealth. And God's not going to rebuke him for that or shut him down for that or say, shame on you for having all of this. He is going to use this for the glory of God and for the good of Ruth. And look at how he interacts with his employees. Verse number five or four, he comes and the first words you get from this guy's mouth is, may the Lord be with you. And the employees respond back. They know how to talk to Boaz. They know what the, what the work culture is like. May the Lord bless you, right? This is a man who wants to have a positive work environment. He doesn't want a toxic culture. He wants to be spiritually minded in what he does. He is a man who does not see his work and worship as separate which is something that even a lot of American Christians do, which isn't healthy. He doesn't silo his work away from his worship of God and compartmentalize these and think that they're actually separate from each other. This is a man who says, no, in my work, I will have some worship and I will pray for you that the Lord will bless you and you do the same for me. You'll find that it'll come to, Na- to Ruth and he's going to tell Ruth, hey, I want the Lord to put you under his, ring, his wing. I want the Lord to repay you. I want the Lord to cut you a check. Like this is a man who will engage in a spiritual conversation because he's at work or with the employees doesn't negate the fact that they, kneel, they, kneel, they still need to talk about God, right? This is a man who says, no, my work and worship intertwine with each other, and God's going to give me an opportunity today to talk to that employee, to talk to that customer, to talk to this person who just happens to be in my field, and to be a blessing to them, and I want God to use me as I go to work, right? He is a man 
who, while he can walk away and he can entrust responsibility to other people and he can delegate effectively, which is a skill set that every leader has to learn, he also is a man who has his pulse on the business so that when he comes and sees someone new, it's not like, I don't know, half the people are working here. You know, the foreman hired him. I have no say in this. I don't have my pulse on the business. He knows she's new. And he asks, who's, who's the new girl, right? You see the balance, the tension here? Someone who, is, who will be diligent to know the state of his flocks, as Proverbs would put it, because he understands that wealth doesn't automatically transfer from one generation to the next, and that the crown doesn't endure to every generation, but also a man who will delegate and will give responsibility to other people and will lead effectively as a business leader. You find then in verse number nine, and this is the most fascinating one to me, that he walks up to his employees, the guys, and he says, hey, Ruth, new girl, don't touch her. And Boaz knows that these are the people that he's employing. He does not have you know, this giant pot of good, thoroughly spiritual people to pick from that he can employ, that he knows his employees well enough, and as every good boss will know, the, the idiosyncrasies and the tendencies of one employee to the next, he knows I am going to have to go to these men and say, look, don't touch her. Whether it's out of anger, that maybe she's gleaning and, and you know, you're trying to glean, or whether it's out of lust, whatever it is, you don't touch her. You don't mess with her, you don't mistreat her, you don't mishandle her, you don't put your hands on her. And he knew he had to tell the guys that, but he also knew they would respond. He was so confident in his leadership that when I tell them to do something, they're going to do it because I'm the boss. He was so confident in that that he could go to Ruth and say, look, I know you may worry about him and him and him. Don't worry. I told them they can't touch you. You're safe. This man leads and he leads effectively through this. And what you can find is that as a Christian businessman, businesswoman, leader in whatever capacity you have, there are so many lessons to be learned here. If you lead in any capacity, I don't, I don't care if you own your own business. I don't care if you're in education and you're the principal, the superintendent, or even a teacher. I don't care if you're, the, the, uh, you're at a law firm and, and you're one of the partners. If you're in the military and you're a commanding officer. It, all the way down to the volunteer coach at the YMCA. If you lead other people, meaning you make decisions and they affect other people's lives, which is probably the vast majority of you, that you have a direct report or you have children or you have someone that's under your umbrella of authority, do not take that lightly. This is a man who will say, I take this seriously, I lead seriously, and may we do the same. This is actually, sentiments of this are echoed for us in the New Testament, most specifically in Romans chapter number 12 and in Colossians chapter number 4, where we are told as those that are employers or leaders that we should give unto our servants or those under us that which is just and that which is equal. Why? Knowing also that ye have a master in heaven. Here's what it says. Those that are in charge, you be just and you be fair. You're, you're, you're a good boss. And the reason that you should be a good boss is because, Colossians says, we have a boss in heaven, right? And aren't you glad that your heavenly father doesn't manipulate you so that he can get his own purposes out of you? Aren't you glad he doesn't mistreat you or mishandle you or treat you unfairly? And if Jesus doesn't treat you like that and your father in heaven doesn't treat you like that, then don't go treating other people like that. We all look forward to the day where Jesus will rule and reign over all. This is part of the Christian 
perspective and paradigm and something we celebrate, that one day Jesus will rule and reign over all and bad bosses will be no more and corrupt politicians will be no more, right? Jesus will be in charge of all of it. That's awesome. But model that today. And whatever area of influence, whatever area of responsibility you have today, whoever you're responsible for, whatever decisions you make that affect them, you make it in those ways. You follow a pattern that's set for you by Boaz and by God himself, and you say, you know what? I'm going to be effective in how I labor. I'm going to be effective in how I work. Be a good business leader. Make money, but do it the right way. But then secondly and lastly, Boaz gave generously. This is a man who labors effectively. He knows. He's a mighty man of wealth. He knows how to make money, but he's going to take that, and he is going to give it in such a generous, benevolent way. Verse number three. She comes to his field when he's not there. And the workers know what his heart would be. The workers say, the foreman says, yeah, go ahead and glean. You say, well, they had to, right? That was, that was the law. That's what, I mean, God said, do that. Once again, you're in the days of the judges, okay? God had said, don't worship idols, and they did that. God had said, make safe places, protect you know, for your, for your children, for your women, for others. And they were offering their children at times as sacrifices to false gods. God had said, have loving, monogamous marriages. Don't uh, commit adultery. Don't fornicate. And a lot of people all through the book of Judges spent their time dating, relating, and fornicating. So these weren't people that said, you know what? We're just going to sweep to the side Everything God said there, 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 and there, but we're absolutely going to listen to what he says about the widow and the vulnerable and giving them the margins. This is why Ruth has to say, uh, Naomi, can I go out there and glean? Yeah, God had said it, but the, the culture in the day and age they lived in, it wasn't normative, right? This is why, you may, have, you may have missed it when we read it at the end, that Naomi says, Ruth, oh man, he's like a kinsman to us. And Ruth is oblivious. And Ruth says, uh, he told me I could come back and I could glean with the men anytime I wanted. He told me the men were safe. And Naomi says, Ruth, go back. Glean with the women. Don't glean with the men. Glean with the women, Ruth. Why? Because they knew the days they were living in. They weren't oblivious. Their head wasn't in the sand. They knew that this was dicey, Right? But here is Boaz, who's leading these people in such a way that even his foreman says, you know what, you can come in, and at this place, we are mindful of you. You find that he goes far and above what the law requires. Glean the corners, glean the edges, yes, come to dinner. Have my sweet sour sauce. Here's, here's some roasted corn, let me serve you. The boss serving, not just the employee, but below the employee. The boss serving, no way. Verse 14, what do, you, what do you tell her? Hey, the guys, I hired them, and every day they show up. They don't have to bring the lunch pail because we, like, we eat the food that's here, but they got, they got to bring their water bottles. On the way out of town, they got to stop by the well, they got to stop by the cistern, and they got to get some water, and they, and they lug it with them to the field, and they have water with them. And when you come, uh, you can drink their water. Completely countercultural. In that society, the foreigner drew water for the national. The women drew water for the men. Not the national men getting water for the foreign woman. Like that, that is, that never happened. 
But he says, I want to, I want to create a nest for you. God's going to put you under his wing, but I'm going to create a nest for you to be, to be there so that you can be provided for and cared for and you can have safety. And I'm, I'm thinking of your economic needs. I'm going to give you uh, some safety here and I'm going to give you some food here. But even socially, I'm going to make sure that they don't take advantage of you. This is a man who is so over-the-top benevolent, and he does what the book of Proverbs says. He considers the cause of the poor. We're told in Proverbs chapter number 29 that the righteous is the one who considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. We're told in Proverbs 14 that the, the, those who oppress the poor reproach his maker, but he that honoreth him, God, hath mercy on the poor. Be mindful of those that have very little of the world values. Money, first, first and foremost, but even intellect, abilities, marketable skill sets, the people that have very little. Be mindful of them, be merciful to them, help them, love them, be generous. And Boaz is a man who understands this. He understands the Father heart of God. And he says, I want to take those who are marginalized and I want to give them my margins. And Boaz is a man who will make money but he will use the profits from making said money and he will use it to invest in the lives of others, even people that have nothing to offer him. And he will invest it back in them. You say, Pastor, I'm a business owner. You're trying to get, you're trying to get the money out of my pocket. I would like to get an idol out of your heart. And if that happens, then you can see what happens with the money in your pocket. But there's always been, there has always been in the heart of God a heartbeat to look at those that are falling out of the fabric of society and for God to tell his people to weave your life in with those people so that they don't fall out of the fabric. That's always been there. And Boaz gets this and he gives benevolently. He gives to her material needs, but he gives to her sociological needs and says, you, I mean, you are going to be taken advantage, even here at my workplace, like I know some of the knuckleheads that work for me, but I'm, I am going to do my best to take care of you. And, and what he does is he says, Ruth, I know that you came here looking for a food bank, but I got one better for you. I got a grocery store. Pull up anytime. Load your cart full of whatever you want. When you go to the cash register, you don't got to pay a thing. And by the way, I'll have the boys help you load in your car when, when you're done. Like he takes what God said to do for those that were vulnerable and poor and he takes it a mile further and says, I want to be benevolent to you. And I hope, I hope that this is something that we can model as a church corporately, but also individually. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again. And I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. 
Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.